Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is on the beautiful gift of adoption. As always, we have a special guest. Will you please introduce yourself? My name is Cheryl Lenny, and I am the Director of Adoption Professionals. We are legally a PCPA, a private child placing agency licensed by the state of Ohio. I'm also an adoptive mother. So why don't you tell a little bit about that story and what led you into becoming an adoption professional and founding that business? My husband and I adopted our two daughters at birth who are now 25 and 27. At that time, I decided to leave the practice of law and stay home with our daughters for 11 years until they were in second and fourth grade. And at that time, I decided adoption had been so positive for my husband and me that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So in 2004... I applied to the state of Ohio and received our license, and we have been licensed continuously since that date. Many people adopt because they face infertility, and that was certainly the case for my husband and I. And the road to adoption for us was long and difficult. We had several changes of heart, which means the birth mother changed her mind in the hospital, but each of our experiences has been invaluable to me as I work with our prospective adoptive families. Because if you haven't experienced something yourself, it is difficult for you to empathize, give support, say you'll get through this, but most importantly, to say it will all be worth it in the end. Hang in there. And so it seemed to me as we went through all of our trials and tribulations to adopt that I was kind of being tested, formed, crafted to do this work. I had faced everything that our adoptive parents face. So the one thing I have not faced is I have never been a birth mother or a birth father. I've not been a birth parent. And I say that very quickly when I work with birth parents in the hospital, I say, I have not been in your shoes. I will never say, I know how you must be feeling because I don't. But I can say to adoptive parents, I know how you are feeling. I have experienced this before. You will survive and it will all be worth it. And I can say that with complete confidence. So Sarah, so you can say that because you've been through some of the difficulties that sometimes happen as an adoptive parent. When you founded Adoption Professionals, were you involved in, I don't know, changing laws or systems to make those kinds of difficulties less common? I worked with... Tom Brinkman on Senate Bill 238, 
which was back in, I think it was finally approved in 2008. What I had learned in the first four years of this agency was that birth mothers here in Ohio were giving the precious gift of their baby to adoptive parents, but then were becoming homeless. Because in Ohio, we were not permitted to give the birth parents any money at all to live on. So when a woman gave birth, particularly if it was a C-section, she was unable to work for so many weeks, couldn't pay her bills. She became homeless and there was nothing we could do about it. So I did work on that bill now birth mothers, not birth fathers, but birth mothers can legally receive $3,000 in living expenses during the first 60 days after birth. And I'm very proud of that law. You were talking a little bit about going to the hospital, expecting to adopt a child, and then the birth mom decides not to go through with the adoption placement. That might be one fear that someone might have as an adoptive parent. Is that something that's it's very unusual? How do, how do we guard against those kinds of things happening? And has anything happened in the past 20 years, perhaps even, that makes that a less common? Uh, we experienced in our agency probably two changes of heart a year, and that is considered a low number. We place 25 to 30 babies a year. So we have successful placements in those numbers, but we will have two changes of heart a year always. But this is how we handle that. We first educate our adoptive parents on that reality. In addition, we are completely transparent with our adoptive parents so that when I am meeting with a birth mother throughout her pregnancy, and I do try to meet with her regularly every two to three weeks because she is typically in crisis and her life is changing rapidly. So if she has matched with an adoptive parent, I need to keep them apprised of her current state of affairs. So if suddenly when we get close to delivery, her extended family begins to realize she's going through with this, then they come out of the woodwork and may make promises. I simply make the adoptive family aware of that. We still move forward, we maintain the match, but they are educated as to what is going on. And that helps them guard their heart. We are required by law to provide pregnancy counseling, not adoption counseling. So we are working with the birth mother. Our social workers are working with the birth mother to make sure that she continues to evaluate her options and make the best decision for her family. The best decision may not be adoptive placement, but we educate our families and we are completely transparent. So we're probably getting a little bit ahead. Why don't we back up a little bit and say, okay, how, how does the adoption process work? I'm going to approach this from the adoptive parents standpoint first. 
In order to adopt in the state of Ohio, you must have an approved home study. That's Ohio's stamp of approval on your home. And a home study has three parts. One is the social worker visits in your home. We like to make three, but only one is required by statute. Secondly, you must complete 12 hours of training on a state mandated curriculum so that you are educated to the issues of adoption and you know how to introduce the issues at the appropriate age level. For instance, we have our families role play and they will talk to their eight-month-old, because an eight-month-old does have a listening vocabulary, so that they hear, you're adopted, you didn't grow in mommy's tummy. So there was never a moment of telling. The child always knew. But then when the child is three, you add to the story. When the child is six, you add to the story, et cetera. So that's what the training is about. Also to make the parents understand that the details of the adoption story belong to the child, not the parent. Right. It's the child's story. And that is a foreign concept to adoptive parents. So that's our responsibility to make sure that they understand that. And then thirdly is all the background checks that you would expect, FBI fingerprinting, state fingerprinting, a nationwide child abuse check, sex offender check, statements from your doctors that you are in reasonably good health, tax returns, utility bills, references, marriage certificates, the list goes on and on. When all three components are completed, you have an approved home study. It's good for a period of two years. At the end of the two years, you can update the home study by only repeating all of the background information. You don't need three visits and you don't need to repeat the training, but you do need your fingerprints, et cetera, updated. And you can continue to update your home study for as long as you like. But you mentioned marriage certificate. Do you have to be married to adopt in the state of Ohio? You do not. And we have placed with single people. However, you cannot adopt jointly with another person if you are not married. Okay. One person only can be the adoptive parent, the legal adoptive parent. Correct. Right. Okay. Now there's a, you know, you can go through an agency, right? Or you can just go through a lawyer, right? What, what would be the difference between those two methods? Attorney placements are referred to as private adoption. So if you hear someone say we adopted privately, what they mean is we used an attorney to handle the legal placement. If you have an agency adoption, it means that all of the components of the adoption were handled by a licensed agency. So the home study was completed by an agency. The assessment of the birth parent was handled by an agency and the legal placement was handled by the agency. And finally, the six months of post-placement visits 
were handled by the agency. Post-placement visits, we didn't talk about that yet. So after the baby is placed right in the home of the adopted family, you just mentioned six months apparently before the adoption is finalized. What's that process? When a birth mother places her baby using an agency, she and hopefully the birth father are surrendering their parental rights to the agency. So the agency holds permanent custody at the time of placement. The agency in turn conditionally places the baby with the approved adoptive family. And then under state law, we must follow that placement and make visits into the home each month for six months and create a written placement note to be reviewed by the probate court. At the end of six months, we file a written consent attaching all of our visit notes and make a recommendation that the adoption be finalized. Then the adoptive family and the baby go before the probate court judge and the adoption is finalized. At that time, the original birth certificate is sealed and can never be pulled again. And a new birth certificate is issued naming the adoptive parents as the biological parents and awarding the baby the adoptive name. So you cannot see a difference between a birth certificate of a child that has been adopted and a child born to biological parents. Wow, that's interesting. What the social worker is doing during this time is making sure that the baby is healthy, the baby's happy, the baby's being taken care of. Apparently that's what's being, that's what's happening. Ohio regulates very, very heavily every aspect of adoption. So our visit notes must satisfy the statutory list of criteria. So they will check for immunizations, which are required under Ohio law now. They will document that the baby is sleeping in the parent's room. They will document feeding schedule, sleeping schedule, how the parents report their marriage is being impacted by the presence of a newborn. And finally, when the baby gets to be over three months old, these are professional social workers that are trained in child development, and they are watching for evidence of bonding. Does the baby react to the parents? Are the parents able to sue the fussy baby? Do they respond when the baby is agitated? And by six months, is the baby not happy if the social worker tries to hold the baby? We start getting into the stranger danger. And that's all very healthy. That's showing attachment. So the social worker is to document all of that. And of course, if there are any concerns, what we do is we delay finalization until those concerns are answered. But in private adoption, that is very seldom, very, very seldom. Right. So um, let's talk about that on the other side of the spectrum, right? So, so that's a little bit about the process for adoptive parents, right? What does it look like on the side of the birth parents? 
As I mentioned before, when a birth, it's typically a birth mother, right, contacts me and says she is considering adoption, we are required to provide pregnancy counseling, not adoption counseling. Right. And by that, I mean, we educate her as to community resources that may be available to her and she's not aware of them, which would enable her to parent if she wants to do so. If she is not interested in those, then what I do is I make certain of two things. First, that she understands that adoption is permanent. There's a lot of confusion. People think it's foster care or I can change my mind or when I get back on my feet, I can come back and get my baby. I have to make sure that she understands that adoption is a permanent plan. Secondly, I have to educate her that the father of the baby has rights. Many women believe that they are the sole decision maker when it comes to placing their child for adoption, and that is simply untrue. Biological fathers have very strong rights, and so she needs to understand that. Ohio law allows an unmarried woman to legally place her child without the written consent of the father. The statute reads an unmarried woman may legally place her child for adoption. That being said, if a father does not want an adoption to occur, he can come forward. If the birth mother put his name on the birth certificate at the time of birth, then he must consent to the adoption. But if that did not happen, if there is not a father on the birth certificate and she is unmarried, then he must file with the putative father registry in Columbus, Ohio, anytime during the pregnancy, but no later than 15 days after the birth in order to preserve his right to object to the adoption. And then if he doesn't, then there's no recourse at that point in time in the interest of the baby staying in the home that that is known, of course. Ohio has weighed the competing interests there and has set that deadline. Now, I also want to add that a birth mother and father cannot sign the state form of permanent surrender, surrendering to an agency, until 72 hours have passed following the birth. And that is a recognition that while the birth parents can think that they know exactly what they want to do, everything changes when the baby arrives. Right. And that's particularly true for first-time mothers who just can't imagine this explosion of love that they feel. And so three days is a long time to consider, do I want to go forward with the adoption plan I have made? And again, as an agency, we are to facilitate and counsel all of that questioning and looking at those options again. We cannot advocate for the adoptive parents. Right. What typically is happening to the baby for those three days? The birth mom holding the baby for three days 
Does it go home? Every situation is different. And the hospital plan is something that we discuss with the birth mother, certainly ahead of time. We want her to visualize what she wants to happen in the hospital. And then we write that up and provide that to the hospital social worker. However, of course, when the time comes, it is what she wants at the time that will prevail. But those questions might include, do you want the adoptive family to be present at the hospital when you deliver? Do you want one or both of the adoptive parents to be present in the delivery room? Who do you want to hold the baby first? Do you want to see the baby? Is it acceptable to you if the hospital gives the adoptive family a room for the 48 hours that you and the baby are in the hospital so they can start bonding with the baby and for first-time parents, get that all-important good instruction from skilled nurses. We find that even in adoptions where the birth mother only wants pictures going forward, that the hospital time is very, very special because they can spend so much time together discussing their hopes and dreams for the baby, building a trust relationship. It sounds awkward, but it really is quite a beautiful thing when you see a birth mother She gets to see firsthand what she has done. She gets to see the adoptive family hold that baby and the love on their faces. It affirms her choice. And we really encourage the deepening of that relationship, regardless of whether the adoption is going to be what we refer to as open or not. So you would, so it can be done in different ways, depending on what the birth mom particularly is interested in, but you would recommend that the adoptive parents are in the hospital during those three days, the birth mom, and they're all interacting during that three-day period. They're both spending some time with the baby. They're both seeing how each other protects, particularly the birth mom is able to spend some time with the baby, say goodbye perhaps, and also watch the adoptive couple hold the baby and interact with the baby as well. I find that birth mothers who go through that exercise are able to heal the emotional scars of placing a baby and also have a sense of pride in what they have done. And I will say to a birth mother, I want you to memorize what you're seeing when you look at the parent's holding the greatest gift on the face of the earth from you. This is what you have done for your child. This is the parenting plan you have chosen. And when you look at the devotion in their face, that will serve you well going forward. Right. We have a birth mother support group that meets monthly, and we will often hear our birth mothers relay to the group how their adoptive parents behaved and how wonderful they were. And that's all very positive and healthy. Right. You brought up the topic of open and closed adoption. 
those words are somewhat self-explanatory, but I'm sure you can enlighten us on a lot of details. What the, what what is the difference between open and closed, and how how much does that affect the relationship? I think the most important thing to know about an open adoption is that it is not enforceable under Ohio law. So you are using a term that can be defined in many, many different ways. So clear communication, and by that I mean written communication, is absolutely necessary to make sure that the expectations of the adoptive parents and the birth parents are clearly understood because no one can enforce what I refer to as sacred promises in a court of law. Right. So the way we handle that is we write down the schedule for when and how pictures will be shared by the adoptive parents with the birth parents. That might be hard copy, that might be email, that might be a closed Facebook group, or that might be the Tiny Beans app. We write that down. If there are also going to be face-to-face visits going forward, we choose the months that those will always occur. We want to reassure the birth parents that they will always occur We want to reassure the adoptive parents that they won't have somebody moving into their home. There's fear on both sides. And we find that by being very clear and writing things down, that both sides are reassured. Are you choosing not to use those words? Or can you still say there's kind of a distinction nonetheless between what's meant by closed and what's meant by open? I don't believe closed adoptions in the technical sense occur in agency adoptions anymore. By closed, that means you have not met or you haven't even seen a profile or you don't even know first names. Now, over 18 years, we've had maybe five to seven absolutely closed adoptions. And those in each case were when a birth mother gave birth to a child that was not fathered by her husband who was in prison. Hmm. So he didn't know that the birth occurred and she did not want him to know. Right. So those are very unusual circumstances. Even when a birth mother doesn't want to meet and interview the adoptive family, in our agency, she will choose the family from profile books that the family prepares. So it's really no longer closed. I would call that semi-open because if she saw them out on the street and we have had this happen. Right. She would know who they are. She knows who they are. They don't know who she is but she knows who they are. And then there's levels of open that you were just talking about. It could just be pictures. It could be certain kinds of visits. And it just depends on how they want to do that. What might be the most open that would be fairly common a relationship would be between adoptive parents and birth parents? 
In our agency, we try to structure openness and we have two guide words that we follow, mutual respect and open communication. And we try to show both sides that we all love this child and we all want what is best for this child. So if we communicate openly on what we believe that is, we can come to the best decisions going forward. That being said, we do structure in our agencies, our openness in the beginning, and we choose four months. If they're going to be face-to-face visits, we choose four months and we identify those months based on sometimes when the the birthday is, if the birth mother wants a visit around the birthday, if they celebrate Christmas, if they celebrate Easter, they choose the four months. I explained to them, we try to think about the child being six years old, not a baby in arms, but six years old. And it's healthiest for the child when the child asks the adoptive mother, when am I going to see the birth mother, Emily, when am I going to see Emily again? She can answer and say, remember, we always go to the pumpkin patch with Emily and that's next month. Question answered. They can build a relationship. We want traditions. We want memories. We want a true relationship between the child and the adoptive parents and the birth parents. And we find that four visits is doable because Once everybody has more than one child and you've got weekend sports and you've got school projects, finding, carving out time on four visits is challenging, but it's an obligation or a privilege that one can maintain. The last thing I need to say, though, about an open adoption, and Ohio law does make this clear, the adoptive parents are the final determiners on what is healthy for the child. So for example, if we've had a wonderful open adoption relationship, but then the child starts going through puberty and is reacting negatively to the visits with the birth parent, again, open communication. You have a private conversation between the adoptive parents and the birth parent and saying, this isn't working well right now. So in the best interest of the child, we're going to take a step back, not forever, but right now we need to take a step back and we want to communicate that openly to you. The adoptive parents have the full authority to make that determination. And then, you know, I suppose differently, maybe things start well, but for whatever reason, but if the adoptive parents are starting to feel like Maybe they're concerned about the influence, I don't know, that the birth parents are having on the child for some reason. They don't like the way the relationship's going. I guess they can do that? Well, since it's not enforceable, there's really nothing to revoke. But I will say that our agency is required and we do facilitate long after a finalization We will have our social worker sit down with the birth parents alone and then with the adoptive parents alone and sort out from a professional standpoint what is fair and what is in the best interest of the child. 
I should also tell you that I do uh, have a conversation with the birth parents at the time of placement about openness, if, if they have selected openness. And I say, openness is a privilege. It is not a right. So if you don't show up for right. a visit, right. you don't cancel, but right. you don't show up and we have a child waiting and you don't show up, then it is well within the adoptive parents' right and probably even obligation to terminate the open relationship. Additionally, if you were ever to show up drunk or high, then it would be logical. Right, same time. For the adoptive parents, again, to communicate and say, this is not healthy for our child, and we are making the parental decision to close the adoption, and they would have our support for that. The child has to be the interest that we serve first. Talking about closed adoptions then, because you hear stories, right, about people who don't know what happened to their placed child, for example. What is the process if you want to regain contact, right, with your birth parent or with your birth child, and it's a closed adoption? How would that work? Under Ohio law right now, when a birth parent is assessed, I used that term earlier, An assessment is a meeting between the agency social worker and the birth parent to complete two state required forms. One is the medical history, which is given to the child's pediatrician after placement. But the second is a form where the birth parents check individually, not together, check yes or no on whether they want the child to be able to pull identifying information about them when the child turns 21. Now that's a long time. So when they complete that form, they are educated to the fact that they may change their answer by pulling the form from the Ohio Department of Health and changing their answer. And they can change their answer as many times as they choose to do so until the child turns 18 and then the form is locked. Lives change over a period of 18 years. So a birth mother might at the time check, no, I do not want the child to be able to pull my name, social security number and address. And then 10 years later, she thinks, I don't know why that was so important to me. If my child wants to find me, that is fine. And she will pull that form and change her answer. But it is incumbent upon the child to pull the form. There isn't a reverse where the birth parent can pull a form on the child. You're an adopted child and it was closed and you're 21 and you want to find your birth parent. Obviously, there's things you can do today. But in right. terms of, of course, right. but in terms of the agency, you go to the to the agency where you know you're adopted, or you go to the Ohio Department of Health. There's nothing they can do for you if that parent said it was closed and kept it closed. Correct. Right. That's the law right now. Right. Thanks, Cheryl, for sharing with us the story of how adoption works in the state of Ohio and how it is that we can all consider whether that's something that's right for our situation. Thanks for spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Take care. 
I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to check out the resources talked about or the links in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash beingprolife. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to being with you next time.